Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Shout out to show sponsor Element. I'm so pumped to hear that you guys are digging this stuff. I knew you would. It's so freaking tasty. I did get a question about sodium. Somebody asked if I was concerned with the sodium content and the answer is not at all. In fact, that's why I sought out Element as my electrolyte drink of choice. Active athletes, especially during hot weather, can lose up to seven grams of sodium per day just through sweat alone. And in order to replete that, to replace that, we need both water and sodium so we can reestablish appropriate and proper hydration. Listen, it's summer here in New Hampshire. It's hot. I'm active. I like to do hot yoga. Honestly, on my hot yoga days, I actually double down on Element. I know many of you are active as well, so this is something that we really should be mindful of. Salt has been villainized. It's not the bad guy. We need salt. We need minerals. We need electrolytes. And if you want to do it in a yummy way, Element is your thing. So right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. So that's eight packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try the flavor, see what you like. And you can get it at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. The deal is only available through my link. You got to go to drinklmnt.com forward slash funk. You also get a no questions asked refund. So try it risk-free. You're going to love it. Hello, everybody. I am excited to bring to the show Lori Fish Bard. She is a licensed clinical nutritionist and board-certified integrative health counselor. She works with adults, children, and families. And today we're going to talk about celiac disease. The reason that I'm extra excited about this is because Lori is also a Functional Nutrition Academy student. So I get to work with Lori behind the scenes. Um, And I want to say that if you're interested in FNA, enrollment is currently open and you can stay till the end because Lori shares a bit of her experience with you about what it's like to be in FNA. So stick around for that if you're interested. But the name of today's game is celiac disease. Now, in episode 142, I talked about the difference between gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. I also talked about testing options for you. And then in episode 125, I talked about thyroid health, gluten, and Hashimoto's, the intersection between all of those. So what we're not going to do in today's show is kind of um, reinvent what's already been created. I wanted to really focus on new stuff. And that's where Lori comes in. She works with a lot of clients who do have celiac disease and they they give up gluten, but they still don't feel well. And she says that giving up gluten is the first crucial step for celiac, but it's 
not the only step. And so this is why so many people can get diagnosed with celiac disease, go gluten-free, and they do not just magically get better. We're going to talk about the whys behind that in today's show. Following a gluten-free diet might remove a trigger, but it doesn't necessarily allow the gut to heal, reduce the gut inflammation, allow the gut to restore itself and stop the autoimmune process. So Lori will tell you a little bit about her experience with her own family and her own daughter and her own self that prompted her to really dive into the research and actually go back to school to get her master's in clinical nutrition, which I think is is really cool. So um, without much further ado, here is Lori. Welcome to the show, Lori. I'm so excited to have you here. I know that this is going to be a really great topic and we haven't gone this far into celiac disease before. So I'm, I'm excited to do this. I know it'll be a great one for the listeners. Thanks, Erin. I'm really thrilled to be here. So I think we should just jump right in. Um, at, uh, we have talked about celiac disease and the difference between celiac and gluten sensitivity. That was episode 142. So I don't want to spend too much time kind of reinventing the wheel. Instead, I want to talk about the lived experience of somebody actually trying to get a celiac disease because it's not an easy feat. Um, it's often misunderstood that celiac disease will always present with GI symptoms, which as you and I both know is not the case. So it can go missed for that reason. But when it does present with GI symptoms, because that can also be the case, there are so many overlaps with other digestive issues that it can be misdiagnosed. So can you tell us a little bit more about your experience of getting a celiac diagnosis for your daughter and then for yourself? Like what were the symptoms? What were you guys dealing with in order to, um, lead you to that? Sure. So, uh, you know, it wasn't really a straight road for us. My daughter was diagnosed at 14 years of age. She had had some serious GI issues when she was an infant, right? When she was five weeks old, when she was born via emergency C-section, I was told that I needed to stop breastfeeding and give her this elemental formula. And something inside of me just told me that just didn't seem right. Like I wanted to be able to continue to nurse my baby and I knew how beneficial breast milk was. And I knew there must be something in my milk that was causing this, but it was really scary. And I was worried about what was happening. So I started doing some research and my doctor and I agreed that I could take an unconventional approach and eliminate major allergens from my diet and then continue to nurse. And so I did that. And literally after a week or maybe two, her symptoms went away. And that experience really showed me how food affects health. And in this case, not even my health, but the health of my baby. So I feel like that was kind of always in the back of my mind. And I, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, I would have done things differently as she was growing up. I would have maybe kept gluten out of the diet. I would have asked for genetic testing. I would have done functional testing, although I don't think functional tests were around 21 years ago, but it, 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 you know, it would have been amazing if I could have seen what was really happening, but she just was having these um, weird things going on, like anxiety and, and often on digestive issues. And um, there was this weird thing with, with balance that she was having. So I just wanted to just kind of get everything tested. And, and celiac was one of those things. Um, 
and she came up positive that she had those TTG markers and then an endoscopy um, confirmed her diagnosis, you know, a week later. And then when that happened, the rest of the family was tested for both the genetic markers and the TTG markers. And I was the other lucky winner in the celiac contest. Now I had already been diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis a few years earlier. So this was the second autoimmune for me. Wow. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it it was overwhelming. And I think what ultimately what her symptoms were is that she had almost like UTI symptoms, but without the UTI, like bladder focused things. Like we were doing, we were doing ultrasounds and, and, and really it was just, it, it just did not present like what you would typically, what a lot of people typically feel like symptoms of celiac would be. So it seems like she did have some of the digestive issues. She had some neurological stuff going on with the balance. She had some mood stuff going on with the anxiety. It was also showing up as bladder symptoms. I mean, were your doctors hesitant or um, resistant at all for the celiac uh, tests or were they pretty gung-ho about it? Yeah, I think at the time, nobody could really figure out what was going on. So we just we're trying to test everything. I don't think that they initially said, let's test for celiac. And I just threw it in the mix. Um, and I just wasn't too surprised when it came back. Um, mother's positive. mother's intuition. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. And, you know, we, at that point, we really did everything conventional medicine told us to do. You know, we, we gave up the gluten, um, And I think initially we felt a little bit better, but solely going gluten-free did not magically solve all of our issues. And that's when I really delved into the research around celiac and gluten sensitivities, ended up going back to school to get my master's in clinical nutrition, got licensed as a nutritionist, really made it my mission to figure all of this out and try to heal her and me because you know, I found that going gluten-free was, was obviously a critical step, but it wasn't the only one that we needed to take. And I, I do feel like this is a lot, this is where a lot of people get stuck because if they have celiac, you often need to think broader. And if you don't have the celiac diagnosis, but you don't know definitively if you have a gluten sensitivity, you know, people will go gluten-free for a few weeks and they don't really think it makes a difference. So they give up. And I, totally get that going gluten-free is hard enough, but sometimes we have to do more. So with her and I, I really kind of parted a little bit from the conventional approach and I took more of a holistic approach to our autoimmune diseases. And I I worked on reducing inflammation, healing our gut, uh, restoring essential vitamins and minerals, managing stress, which I know you're constantly talking about, um, and like figuring out how to achieve this, this life, this new life where we had this inflexible food restriction, but we still wanted to like, you know, go out and have our zest for good food and just live a normal life. Absolutely. And that's really going to be the name of today's game because celiac disease is not 
just a gluten sensitivity. It is a full-blown autoimmune disease. And I think your point is so valid and why I wanted to bring you on the show is because what happens when you do receive a celiac diagnosis and you take the gluten out and things don't just magically get a hundred percent better. Where do you go from there? But before we get into that, can we back up a step and just, can you summarize for us some of the out of the box symptoms of celiac and gluten intolerance? So if we're telling people, it's not just as simple as I eat the bread and I get the belly ache, what are other indications that somebody could be dealing with celiac? Yeah. So First of all, it's surprising to me how many clients I see in my practice who have been diagnosed by their GI doc with IBS and have never been tested for celiac or considered to even have non-celiac gluten sensitivities. So, and, and those symptoms align very much with GI issues um, like we would expect, but out of the box symptoms, I think of more like brain fog, headaches, uh, dermatitis, like, like eczema or rashes or, or skin inflammation, fatigue and low energy, anxiety and or depression, joint and muscle pain. Um, I had a lot of that. Anemia or other kind of malabsorption signs. And, and these are so much harder because they can be rooted and linked to so many different things. Like I said, my daughter had anxiety. She had reoccurring strep throat. Like she had random muscle pains. Like I never really thought beyond the acute situation, but I think that we all need to think broader because this disease manifests its way, it manifests its way in so many different ways. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that it's like, if you're not getting, if you're not getting the answers that you need, like you've got to keep going. It's, it's like a little bit like where there's a will, there's a way you just got to kind of keep going. Now you had mentioned, um, malabsorption issues. Can you talk a little bit about why, like what's going on with celiac disease that could contribute to malabsorption issues? Like what's happening at the level of the small intestine? Sure. So the damage happens to these little microvilli, which line the small intestines. Think about like these little finger-like projections that are um, cover the whole surface area of the small intestines. And that's how we absorb our nutrients. In celiac disease, these become flat or blunted. Therefore, you're, you're not allowing them to absorb the nutrients. And if you can't absorb nutrients, you know, you're in trouble. Um, and so when you do an endoscopy, for instance, you can actually see, we saw the blunting of my daughter's villi. And it's just really, it's really scary. It's really something because we obviously need to absorb nutrients for optimal health. And so in regards to going on a gluten-free diet, is that enough to restore appropriate function of these villi, these microvilli? That's, that's the million dollar question. Um, you know, I've done a lot of research around this and I have looked at studies where it says it can be done. It can take two years and it can also take up to 16 years. The data is kind of all over the place. 
honestly, I, I think the only way we would really know is if we're doing kind of follow-up endoscopies and looking at those, those villi. And it obviously depends on where everyone's starting point is also and how much damage is done before their diagnosis. You know, I, from my personal experience, like I've been able to do functional testing with her and myself that has shown kind of our micronutrient status. So I do believe you can dramatically improve and have your nutrient levels return to normal. Therefore, you know, your villi uh, are working properly. Um, but it all goes back to kind of being educated, knowing how to remove those triggers, even if it's more than just gluten, you know, reducing inflammation in the gut and kind of healing and restoring that, that gut lining. Um, I would love to talk a little bit more about that food specific, but I'm curious. Um, so you have been able to see through micronutrient testing for both you and your daughter that, um, your absorption of nutrients has been able to increase. So I just want to highlight that because that's a very hopeful message. Like all is not lost. I know that you put in a lot of a, a time, attention, care into that. Would you, are there any, um, other, are there any specific tests that you do? So let's say somebody's listening and they've already got a celiac disease diagnosis. So like they know they've got it. Is there any other testing that you would recommend or testing that you do with your own clients and patients, um, to kind of track health or track progress for celiac patients? Yeah. So I think, um, a microbiome test is very helpful, like a GI map test that will actually give us a picture of what the microbiome looks like, what the balance of the, uh, bacterial flora is. I think that's very helpful. Um, I know you've talked about the wheat zoomer test, um, which is a big one, which I'm actually just learning about, but it's, it's great for, um, other foods, because they don't just have wheat zoomer, they have like corn zoomer and dairy zoomer. They have other foods that could show if you're having a reaction to something. Um, it also looks for leaky gut, which could be very helpful. Um, and then I, then the micronutrient testing, which there's a, a number of different ones on the market. And that actually breaks down what your vitamins and minerals look like. For my daughter, she had very low iron. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we really worked on, and that's kind of a telltale sign of, of celiac, like that kind of, we see that a lot, but we really worked on both through food and supplementation to increase that. So I do think there's very helpful tests, both conventional and functional that you can use to kind of figure out if you're moving the needle in the right direction. That's really helpful. So let's talk about other foods. Cause you just kind of, you know, cued that up anyway, there's other, yeah. so if, if removing gluten isn't enough for gut healing. What are other foods that uh, could potentially be problematic for celiacs? So dairy is probably the biggest culprit that I see. Uh, one recent study found that as many as 50% of those with celiac also reacted to dairy. Um, and that's because casein, which is the protein found in dairy, is very similar to the gliadin protein found in gluten. And I personally have found that I have cross-reactivity with dairy products. Um, there are others, corn is a big one, millet, um, rice, quinoa, yeast, uh, legumes can be problematic, and then oats. And you know, as we know, many of these are often used as substitutes for gluten. 
So it's kind of hard to hear this list because people are, they go off. Yeah. They're like, wait a second. Go to corn. Right, right, right. Yeah. It can feel very, very overwhelming to hear that list. Can you explain the, uh, the concept of, so the, the reason behind this is that, you know, there, these, there are certain foods and certain food antigens, proteins that can cross react, right? So can you explain for those who might not be familiar? I've know I've I've addressed it on the show before, but I don't think everyone memorizes every single word (laughs) that I say for the past five years. What is this concept of molecular mimicry? Uh, Because I think it's really important for celiac folks to understand this. Yes. And, you know, I remember learning about molecular mimicry for the first time and it being so confused. I was so confused about this concept, but really in the simplest terms, it's when one food's molecules looks like another one to the body. So one food contains proteins that mimic the gluten protein. Therefore it can irritate and inflame the immune system just like gluten does. So like you said, it's a process of of cross reactivity. Exactly. That's such a simplified explanation. I super appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you know, if you, if you suspect that you have this cross reactivity, like if, if this is an issue for you and it may be causing your symptoms, there's different routes you can take. Um, and kind of things that we did, you know, one is an elimination diet. So you remove those foods for at least three months. I, I, I sometimes say two, but really three months And I always say, if you're doing an elimination diet, work with someone who can make sure that you're getting the proper nutrition you need through other foods, because you don't want to just restrict, restrict. Um, And two is to do the functional lab testing, which which we just talked about, that will show those those antibodies, those those IgG and IgA sensitivity to the antigens. Um, And I think, as we just talked about, there are lots of good functional tests that could be great clinical tools in this. I am a big fan for this particular thing. I believe it's, um, it's Cyrex. I believe it's the array four. Do you work with that one ever? I don't. That could be a really good one just for people looking for resources to look into. I always get the, there's different arrays. They call them arrays, but the the lab company is Cyrex and the array four, I believe is the one that looks at uh, gluten cross reactive foods. So it's a list of, I I can't like 10, 12, foods or something that may cross react. So I don't, that's not like a first place that I start with people, but if they do have a celiac disease diagnosis, um, or they're on a strict gluten-free diet and they seem to be reacting to foods or having these immune triggers that they can't just get a, get a handle on that can sometimes be really helpful test. Um, and I do want to just really highlight and underscore this concept that celiac is an autoimmune disease. And so anything I've talked about autoimmunity a ton on the show in different autoimmune triggers, anything that can trigger the immune system can trigger celiac disease. So the treatment for celiac disease is not just a gluten-free diet. That is a very, very necessary part of a treatment strategy, but it's not the whole part. It's not the whole picture stress. I've talked about stress as being a massive trigger for an autoimmune flare. Stress can uh, flare up celiac. So it's not always the food, but the food is a really big part of that. Would you agree with that, Lori? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, a lot of clients will ask me, you know, if I have the celiac gene, but I don't have the active disease, should I still go gluten-free because I don't have celiac? Um, and, and this, you know, this kind of takes your point a a little, a step further, but 
in my opinion, absolutely, because by having the gene, you have set the stage to possibly develop the disease. And it doesn't mean you're going to, but you have a greater chance of not developing celiac if you avoid gluten. And anything can kind of put you over the edge because we knew, you know, after my daughter was diagnosed, we were all tested as I shared. My youngest son, who was seven at the time, he had the gene, but not the active disease. Well, he's avoided gluten ever since. And I know that anything, gluten being one of those, one of those antigens can set him off, you know, stress being another. I, I'm, I'm trying so hard to make sure that he doesn't ever develop celiac because like you said, you can just, you know, kind of have the bare bones. And I, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 42 years old. Um, and I don't know if I would have been, if maybe I would have done things differently. I, you know, you just don't know. Um, so I think it's a really good point. Totally. And I'm sure you've wondered this, you know, had you discovered that, like, would there, you know, maybe you wouldn't have been thrust into this Hashimoto's thyroiditis situation either, you know, totally. Um, I, you know, there's a very well-known saying about genetics and the environment and it, it's a gun analogy, which I'm really trying to stay away from, but it's essentially like genetics are the things that set the stage. And I'm just making up my own analogy on the fly here. So bear with me, but environments are the things that kind of open the curtain, right? And here comes the show. So just having the genetics for autoimmunity does not mean that you're going to get the full-blown autoimmune disease, the full-blown expression. However, it is something, especially if you have it in your family, like in Lori's immediate family, if you have this information, it doesn't mean you have to walk around on eggshells, but you do need to be really mindful that the way that you live your life, the decisions that you make really can influence the expression of these genes. It's, it's a beautiful thought. It, we can take this and make it like a really scary and intimidating and like, got to live in fear and bubble boy situation, or we can be like, wow, I feel so empowered with this information. I can make decisions for myself to keep these genes from express from expressing. And I think that that's just the, the lovely thing about genetics is that we in epigenetics is that we really do have quite a lot of control, um, once we have the information. So there is that, but I, I would have to agree with you there. If somebody knows that they do have the celiac gene, then a gluten-free diet is, um, is a, is a, is a really smart, smart bet. And we're going to quickly interrupt this discussion to shout out one of our show sponsors. As a reminder, the support of our sponsors is what allows the Functional Nutrition Podcast to continue to pump out new content to you. So we always thank them. We hope that you support them too. One thing that I hear from clients often is I used to be able to drink wine and now I can no longer tolerate. And there's a reason for that. We talk a lot on the show about processed food, but wine can be extremely processed as well. There are 76 additives legally approved for use in winemaking. This can be dyes, thickeners, GMO yeast, and the top 20 wines sold in the US, the most popular ones, all contain high levels of sugar. So my answer to that problem is dry farm wines. I've had a subscription for them uh, for years, and I absolutely love every single bottle they sell. They are organically, biodynamically grown, sugar-free, low alcohol, and they source wines from small family growers. So if you're like me and you enjoy the occasional glass of wine while you're cooking with your family, head to Dry Farm Wines 
dot com forward slash funk for functional nutrition podcast listeners they're offering an extra bottle in your first box for a penny you get free shipping and delivery straight to your door so check them out and enjoy and gotta shout out our longtime sponsor organifi because of our recent travel and festivities my family and i have been doubling down on organifi's green juice Personally, I love the crisp apple variety. I always bring the packets to share with me when I travel, especially if there's some shenanigans going on. Lots of antioxidant and detox support, which I personally find a lot of people need based off of lab tests that I see, but also just modern day life. Green juice has wheatgrass, moringa leaf, spirulina, chlorella, matcha, also has ashwagandha, beetroot, turmeric for more polyphenol antioxidant support. So if you've got someone in your family who doesn't love eating green veggies like my husband, this is a great option. You can save 20% off of your order. Head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash F-U-N-K to try their green juice. Be sure to use code funk to save 20%. All right. Shit is bananas right now. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Somebody recently asked me, what do you do when you're doing all of the things, you're practicing all of the tools, but things still feel really intense? And honestly, this is where Ned de-stress comes in for me. It is part of my daily routine right now. It's a certified organic formula, full spectrum hemp with CBG, CBD, and also ashwagandha. So it really helps to calm down the body and soothe down anxiety. If you need some support right now, fortify your stress response and get 15% off Ned's de-stress blend with code FUNK, go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you as always, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering myself and our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Now, Um, I'd like to chat a little bit about, um, eating out because you had mentioned earlier that, you know, I would imagine as a 14 year old girl learning that, okay, now I have to go on this gluten-free diet. I would imagine that that would have been a little bit challenging for her at that age. How, what was the experience like for your family? Was that a little bit of a struggle? Yeah, you know, it was, um, my son has a life-threatening peanut allergy. Now my daughter has celiac. Now I have celiac. Like we're a lot, like, you know, we're not getting invited out like a lot to people's houses. Cause I think people get worried that they're going to make us sick. And, you know, she wanted to go to her birthday parties and other parties and she's starting high school and that you had to make changes, um, to the way that you kind of live and exist in the world. And we just made it happen. You know, um, I think we were a family that loved eating out. You know, it's nice to, I liked having a break from cooking and we didn't stop eating out as a family after we got diagnosed. We just had to put a little bit more effort into it. And I do get the fear around it. Um, cause I get that a lot from my clients, but you just kind of have to do your due diligence. You have to let people know what's going on and uh, ask for what you need. Now, what asking for what you need? <laughs> we yeah, could do yeah, a whole podcast series on yes. that alone. Um, 
Can you talk about or give listeners some helpful tips for eating out safely so you can be confident? Like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to enjoy my life, I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to live in fear. Do you have any um, tools that you utilized or utilize? Yes. Yes. So, you know, if you're going to be out and about, I always say to bring food that you know is safe to eat for you or for your child. And sometimes you're pleasantly surprised. Uh, it's funny, I just posted this on my Instagram, but we recently went to a wedding and I was prepared to just eat my gluten-free, dairy-free bar that I stuck in my purse on the way out the door. But at the reception, there was this huge table like filled with beautiful grilled vegetables. And it was just, just plain vegetables. And I was just so super excited about that. Um, so that was where I was able to eat and I could eat something other than my bar. Um, but I would say, you know, look at menus online, call ahead, speak to the manager. If you like to go to those fast, casual places, ask them to change their gloves between, you know, customers. If you like to order out, you know, write in the note section about the foods that you are avoiding, um, so that they have that information online. Um, I, I coach my clients around this a lot because they tell me that they don't want to be you know, that customer. But I feel like if you're polite and you're considerate, people are going to accommodate you if they can. Um, one of my pet peeves actually is when servers ask if cross-contamination is an issue. The answer is always yes. Uh, the littlest bit can cause an inflammatory response because we know that eating even a little bit of a food antigen can elevate your antibodies for months. So even if you only ate gluten four times a year, you could be in a state of inflammation year round. So if that is the question, the answer is yes. And if they say they can't do it, then, then you have to you know, figure out if you need to leave. We have left restaurants before, um, not dramatically, just because we realize it's not a good fit. And a lot of restaurants now, I don't know if you've noticed, but they're putting disclaimers kind of on the bottom of their menus that they cannot guarantee safety because of cross-contamination. You know, if you see this, this is definitely a red flag. It may not be a deal breaker if you call ahead and, and you know, talk to a manager and see if they can accommodate you. But if you're not comfortable, don't go. There are plenty of places that will accommodate you. And when we were diagnosed you know, it wasn't horrible, but it certainly wasn't as easy as it is now to eat out gluten-free. Oh my gosh. I couldn't agree more. It, I think I was, it was 15 years ago when I found out and I don't have, I have the genetics for celiac, um, but I don't have the antibodies, um, but I do have gluten sensitivity. Um, and 15 years ago, it was rough out there. It was rough <laughs> out there, but I, I echo everything that you're saying. And I, I always 100% of the time look ahead. So even if my husband's like booking reservations, he's going to look ahead. He's going to look at the menu just to see if even there's like, um, you know, like notations of GF or like if they're, if they're gluten savvy, if they're aware, if there is no mention of anything, gluten-free on the menu, we just call up and we say, Hey, do you do gluten-free? And I, to your point, be kind, be respectful. Like nobody wants you to get, you know, to, to, to be the person that gets you sick. So if you, if you are kind about it, people are really, really willing to work with you. And I've just, I'm perpetually blown away by how seriously restaurants take that these days. And if they're, if they don't, then that's just not a, a place that I choose to eat because I am 
always going to prioritize my health over convenience. Um, and I say that for listeners too, you always should prioritize your health over somebody else's comfort levels. So I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Lori, because I hear this too. It's like, well, I don't want to put anybody out or I don't want to make, I don't want to be that person. I don't, I don't want to make a scene. I don't want to be like the diva We we carry a lot of, um, again, <laughs> topic for another day, but we carry a lot of uh, like shame or embarrassment or discomfort around having our needs met or stating our needs clearly. When it comes to your health, nobody else is going to advocate for you. So you got to get really comfortable with being like, nope, I have needs here and they matter. You don't have to be a, a jerk about it, but uh, it's really, really important to do that. I also, um, for me to kind of soothe down my own anxiety about cross-contamination, I always travel with gluten enzymes, or I call them gluten enzymes, but the DPP4 enzymes that can just, yep. you know, I don't use them and then order myself a pizza pie. I'm still ordering gluten-free. I'm still really very clear about my needs. And I just take them as like a, an anxiety soother for myself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, to your point about, um, you don't want to to, to be that person too, you know, that's also, I think what was hard for my daughter as a teenager when everybody was going out and she did have to kind of open her mouth and, and ask more questions. And that is very hard. I think that probably was the hardest part for her is, um, having to call attention to yourself. And so when I work with teenagers, I really try to empower them to do exactly what you just said, to put your health first and know that this is really important and that people are absolutely there to help you. Oh my goodness. And like, what a lesson and what a gift to learn at such a young age, like self-advocacy. I wish I could go back in time to my 14 year old self and be like, so here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Same. Totally. Yeah. Um, all right. So I do, if there's anything that you think would be helpful in terms of you know, you had alluded to the fact that you and your daughter needed to do more gut healing than just remove one trigger. So we've talked about other uh, ways to explore food as triggers, but in terms of healing the gut and allowing for the repair of those microvilli, you know, it might not be as simple as removing the gluten. So were there other, or what were other strategies that you, uh, employed and help your clients with that, um, listeners could benefit from? Sure. So in addition to gluten, um, we went on a grain-free diet, uh, for three months, right? So no oats, no corn, no rice, no quinoa, any of those grains that I mentioned, we also eliminated dairy. While we were doing that, we increased our veggie intake to about eight to 10 servings a day. We kind of cleaned up our food. So we were doing, you know, high quality animal protein, high quality fats. Um, we did do some supplementation and, and this, you know, this could look different. You know, we did some vitamin C for overall immune support. We did digestive enzymes, uh, like you just mentioned, to su support with digestion. L-glutamine, which is an amino acid that supports optimal gut barrier function and cell reproduction. We, we um, took L-glutamine. Um, zinc carnosine is something that can be very helpful that improves gut permeability and gastric cell health. And then there were a number of herbs that are known to coat and support the gut lining. 
such as aloe vera, slippery elm, marshmallow root. These, um, these are all good healing agents for an inflamed and leaky gut, which is kind of like common for celiac and other autoimmune issues, and also many times for non-celiac gluten sensitivity folks. Oh, absolutely. For sure. We, we can, can see that quite a bit, quite yeah. a lot. And so, um, you know, the food is helpful. The supplements can be helpful and also just trying to examine because again, anything that can trigger autoimmunity can trigger the celiac disease process. And so just making sure that you're getting, uh, you're, uh, you're understanding what are your unique kind of like lifestyle triggers too. For me, I know stress is a biggie, biggie, biggie. And so, part of the reason I talk so much about that is because we kind of have to um, recognize how that may be impacting our health. So Lori, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, can you tell people um, where they can find more of you in case there's any families listening that might want to reach out um, and connect with you or anybody struggling with, with potential celiac? Absolutely. Yes. So you can go to my website at healthyheartbeat.com and that's beet like the vegetable B-E-E-T. Um, I actually have a, a free guide to when going gluten-free isn't enough. So you can go on my website and download my free guide. Um, I also have a ton of recipes on my site and they're all gluten-free. Many of them are also grain-free, oat-free, dairy-free. So if you're looking for some inspiration in the kitchen, please check that out. And then I'm also on Instagram at Healthy Heartbeat, B-E-E-T. And we will, of course, link all of those resources right up in the show notes. Thank you awesome. so much, Lori, for, for having this discussion with, with the Functional Nutrition Podcast audience. Um, we're going to make, make a little pivot here. And uh, Lori, I'm so honored to say, is a student of the Functional Nutrition Academy. And so for anybody listening who is considering joining the FNA, I just, it's always so helpful to hear it because I can talk about the, the program, but it's kind of lands different when it's actually somebody who has gone through the program or is going through the program. So Lori has agreed to, to chat with us a little bit. Um, and Lori, I would just love to hear from you because I know, you know, your background, you can explain your background a little bit more robustly. Um, what was it that made you join FNA? What were you specifically looking to do for your own um, business? Yeah, it's a good question. I, um, I think functional nutrition, it's a lot, right? It's just a lot of information. And there's so much critical thinking and, and putting together the pieces. So I wanted to continue my education in a way that was comprehensive and meaningful. And, you know, I've done just that. I, I feel like you have a real gift for talking about things in a very accessible way. And even though I have a master's and a, a good foundation of this stuff, you have a way of breaking it down and then weaving it all together to provide this, this clear understanding of the complex interplay between body systems. And I, I think one of the greatest benefits for me thus far um, is that I've been able to learn how to more effectively apply this knowledge to help my clients. You know, whether we're dealing with celiac or gluten sensitivity or Hashimoto's or any other kind of autoimmune issue, it's often not a clear cut path. So we partner with our clients to help them figure out what they do, what they need to do to heal. 
and you give us all of this information that we're able to kind of access it and help them figure that out. That that's so wonderful to hear because that's really, you know, obviously the goal of FNA is to be able to kind of have this ripple effect because one person can only reach so many, but then we spread it out. We can reach thousands, maybe even millions. Who's to say? Um, and the, the critical thinking is so huge to really be, because we can have all of this information, but if we don't know how to effectively pull it together, it kind of limits our ability to, to help folks. So the critical thinking piece is, is, is really, really huge. Um, what would you say to somebody who's listening and, and maybe on the fence considering joining, but is really not sure? Because, you know, signing up for a 14-month program, that's a big commitment. And so what would you say to somebody who's thinking about it, but is hasn't fully made the commitment yet? I just say jump in. You know, I I have learned so much. I think I'm in month five or six, and I already feel like this is so, I am so thankful that I did this. I, um, I had some experience with functional testing, but not to the extent that I do now. And I've learned so much just from all the different aspects. Like you do case studies. Those are my favorite. I love the one-on-ones. I learn so much each and every time. I just really learn that way. And also the business modules, like I'm a business owner. I think I identify myself more as a clinical nutritionist than a business owner, but I own my own business. So I have to learn how to run a business. And for far too long, I've been very uncomfortable with kind of the marketing aspect of owning my own business. But as you say, like you have to get over it. If you want to grow your business, you have to just kind of dive in and do the social media and do the content writing and all of that. And so you've really helped me kind of pull me out of my comfort zone. And and even though I'm not super comfortable doing it, I feel like I have the guidance now to know that I'm on a path to be able to help more people and reach more people. And that feels really good. And look at you now, you're talking to like, <laughs> maybe like I don't know, hundred thousand people. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I waited to the end to tell, to tell you that. <laughs> yeah, right. right. You did I a that. great job. This is so wonderful. I really, really appreciate you. And um, I know you, you will definitely help a lot of people with this episode. So thank you so much. And everybody, I'll, I'll link up, um, Lori's info so you can reach out to her and connect with her um, because I know that she can really help those in need. So thank you again, Lori. Thank you so much, Erin. Loved being here. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.